Welcome back to another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. Today, we are joined by Linda Minguez from the Cooperative Extension, and we are learning all about the history of Thanksgiving foods. Stick around and you'll find out just what I was eating as a kid at Thanksgiving. The elegance of the past will be a party for all seasons. Bridgerton comes to the Gaston County Library. Be prepared for a costume contest on December the 2nd at the Gaston County Public Library's main branch. More information at gastonlibrary.org. All right, welcome back to another episode of Savvy Citizen, the podcast from and about Gaston County. Uh, I am Elizabeth McGee, your host today, along with Andrea Bradley. And <laughs> we are here with Linda Mingus from the Gaston County Cooperative Extension. And she's going to share a little bit about the history of Thanksgiving foods. So welcome, Linda. Great. Hello. Thanks for having <laughs> me here today. It's great to be here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this discussion because I love to talk about food. It's I my know. favorite subject. I know. Well, Linda's <laughs> on here so often to talk about food. And we were talking just before we started recording. This is a little outside of your area of expertise. Yes, but it was very interesting <laughs> because I learned a lot in the process of just putting some of these things together. Mm-hmm. And it's a great time to revisit our history and Think about the season of Thanksgiving and don't don't take it for granted, too. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. of course, talk about food. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So Thanksgiving, it's a big food holiday. What I mean, let's let's do a round robin real quick before we get too deep into it. Just start with your favorite Thanksgiving food. I'll start. Mine is macaroni and cheese. Mine is dressing with cranberry sauce on top. Dre- wait, dressing with cranberry sauce on top? Yes. Just the dressing? I mean, it like I could literally eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My mom used to make the best dressing. And the cranberry sauce with this sweetened tanginess used to just create this flavor with the dressing. I, I, I think it was the sage. <laughs> oh, that does sound good, actually. <laughs> but that is my favorite Thanksgiving combination. I think it's the entire meal. It's and because of that, the flavor combinations. Mm-hmm. Probably you know, so. it for me, that's what it is. It's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It really just kind of sets the season. And speaking of recipes, I've got great local fall food recipes that are perfect for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Because let me tell you, we've come a long way from when our forefathers first celebrated their first Thanksgiving. Yes to today's options. So we can certainly share those recipes. (laughs) Okay, awesome. I'm very curious as to what you have found in your research. Yeah. Okay, Lena, take us back into the early days of Thanksgiving. What did you find in your research about the history of Thanksgiving foods? Okay, so do you know, first of all, a, a trivia question? Do you know when Thanksgiving was made a national holiday? How far back? Maybe the, the, the 10s, the 1910s? 1863 by oh. President Abraham Lincoln. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So I thought Not that was very that. interesting. And the first Thanksgiving meal that was celebrated was really because, you know, the settlers had come and settled in and they were celebrating their first successful harvest. Okay. And by this time, 
in the early 1800s, they really, at the first celebration, there were very few women because they had died during oh. that. Yeah, it's very interesting. And here's the other thing that I learned. There was very limited sugar, so desserts were not on the menu. <gasps> oh, but you can't have things. But pie. <laughs> right? But pie. Sweet potato pie, to be exact. So, uh, so a couple of things that I wanted to share with you about this. Um, and I've got lots of interesting notes here um, that are specific to. Yeah, it looks North like you Korea. went on a little bit of a rabbit hole, Linda. Yeah. So <laughs> here's a couple of things that I did want to point out to you. So first of all, um, in 1864, General Ulysses S. Grant, he declared that cranberry sauce was to be served to the Union trip troops for their Thanksgiving festival. So that is really when that began. And actually, cranberries were native to that region, and they've been in the U.S. for a while. So mm. that really does help to explain oh. why that was created. But here's something else that was interesting, that talking about dessert. So pumpkin pie has been on the menu for, you know, over 100 years, but it was not until 1929 when the Libby Company began producing a line of canned pumpkin to help, you know, simplify the canning, the pie-making process, because uh -huh. now you can buy the pumpkin pie filling, uh -huh. right? Dump it in a pie crust and you're good to go. Uh -huh. And that is when, so we're talking about the early, or the, the early 20s, or late 20s, I should say, that pumpkin pie became a tradition. Like a staple a at staple. Thanksgiving. Yeah, I thought that uh -huh. was interesting. And uh, according to some of the historical records, that the first Thanksgiving menu really consisted of freshly killed deer, which makes sense because of being wild and native, mm, right. assorted white wildfowl, cod and bass and flint, because of the foods, you know, the, the fish sources from the local waters. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then. Yeah, you don't think about fish as a modern Thanksgiving exactly. staple. <laughs> no, usually it's the turkey, exactly. the ham. Uh huh. Exactly. Oh, and we're going to talk about North Carolina and um, the turkey, how that progressed. So, along with that, first of all, prior to this, turkey was domesticated from central Mexico and in the southwestern part of the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then, in terms of when we get into North Carolina, I told y'all I was prepared with notes. Y'all gave me a great challenge. <laughs> um, now North Carolina is number one in turkey production. Did you know that? No. no. I knew yes. that we were big in uh, you know, pork. Uh, pork. Pork. Yeah. That's what you think of. Yes. Yeah, so during 1970, North Carolina was ranked third in the nation for turkey production. But by 1981, it moved up to first. So especially when you look at that. I thought that was interesting. Never knew wow. that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I had no idea. And then, um, so most of the state's turkey farms, like the one in Goldsboro, are still concentrated, of course, in the southern Piedmont and the coastal plain. And Goldsboro Milling Company, they actually began in 1916 as a feed mill. And in 1958, um, it turned its attention to raising turkeys. And then by the 1980s, the company joined with Carroll Foods, later Smithfield Foods, to form the Carolina Turkeys, which eventually became Butterball, a brand that we, you know, now see across the country. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I thought that, that was interesting. That's amazing. That is. 
And what do you think the average, well, first of all, think about your own Thanksgiving cost. How much do you, would you say an average family spends on a on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving oh, meal? Gosh. Like, I've got some information that was very interesting. I mean, so like the way that I think of the Friendsgivings I've been to, or even, you know, get togethers with extended family, it's like everyone brings a dish right. to help out. A little bit, but if you were gonna do it all yourself, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how much. Like, how much does a turkey cost? So, I guess it depends. I always get my turkey when it's on sale. <laughs> so, um, but I've spent like probably twenty dollars on a turkey. That seems about right. Yeah, but like I've seen some that are more than that. So yeah. I would think that people probably spend. Upwards of a hundred dollars on a Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, well, especially if you include, you know, the wine and the liquor and the yes. uh, the other essentials. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, in the nineteen sixties, for a family of eleven, there's some history that was taken. Um, the family would have paid about eleven dollars and sixty five cents for their entire meal. For their entire meal. Wow. I'm sorry, you said $11? For a family of 11? For Yeah, for a family of 11. That's a lot of food. But again, I'm wondering also, and it, you know, the information that I have, um, which this is from our state. Okay. And they had a great article about that, that you can learn more. So I wonder if, because during that time, more North Carolinians were growing their own foods. Right. So a lot of those items were not having to be purchased. Yeah. When did mm-hmm. you say that was 1960? In the 60s, mid-60s. Yeah. So if we are, I mean, I, this is maybe a little off topic, but if we are thinking about like growing your own foods or foods that will be seasonally available Mm-hmm. In late November, what kind of foods are we talking? Does it align up with our our green beans and our sweet potatoes and sweet potatoes? Yes, green Probably beans. Probably collard no. greens. Collard, yeah, yeah. Cabbage. Oh Russell gosh, I love sprouts. Some mm-hmm. Cabbage. Um, yeah. Um, and then if they had you know planted and grown butternut squash, you know over <sighs> the summer they would have that just yeah. in time. Yeah, absolutely, that is true. And speaking of pumpkin. That we were talking about because, you know, that (laughs) came around. I know I should have stapled my notes together. (laughs) (laughs) I wish y'all could see this. Linda's got just like an array of papers that she's rifling through. She's really, she's really prepared. (laughs) Yes, I I wanted to have something to chat about. Um, So, you know, pumpkins have been around for quite some time. And again, they were first planted and domesticated in the Americas about 10,000 years ago. It started in Mexico. So, again, a long, long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, again, the squash, the pumpkins from the Mexican Mm -hmm. region, southeastern, southwestern part of our area. Mm -hmm. And then also some of our, like, summer squash, like our yellow 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 squash squash. and the zucchini. Mm -hmm. um, They kind of showed up about 5,000 years ago. And this is interesting, too, that I learned. All of the yellow and green-skinned summer squashes, that we have in the U.S., such as zucchini and acorn squash, were derived from a wild gourd that is still found in the Ozark. Oh, oh wow. That yes, is very I, I cool. thought that was very interesting. Corn, again, the source, it was domesticated from Mexico more than about 8,000 years ago. Wow. And it arrived um, in the southwestern part of the U.S. by 4,000 years ago, and then it reached the northern America about 200 B.C. 
And it was interesting to me because, again, during the first harvest and the first meal, there were a lot of dishes around corn, mm-hmm. almost like a corn stew or a porridge. Okay. And a lot of the research talks about the fact that, you know, many of that first meal, because there were no ovens, so there were not, you know, and there was limited sugar, mm-hmm. so there weren't sweets, but it would have been like a stew more of a stew and some, you know, like the deer and the fish and these um, stews that would have like the corn and maybe some beans. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I did mention to you, which I'm glad we've all had lunch, (laughs) was the, um, it almost sounds like a spinoff of liver mush to me, the ground, groundhog sausage. That's so, wild to me. So are we saying ground groundhog, hog, groundhog, groundhog, like a little furry like, groundhog, like the one that pops out of the ground and tells you if there's going to be more winter or not. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the you don't, baby, you don't hear about people no. eating those very much these yeah, days. Yeah, so it no. was it was somewhat considered a delicacy, mm. and it was a type of sausage, so mm-hmm. it would have had some additional seasoning ingredients, but it yeah. was made from groundhog meat. And most often, you know, the meals were large stews that would have some variety of those additional ingredients. Mm -hmm. There was also made from the corn this item, and I've never seen this before, uh, and it was called Sofkey, S-O-F-K-E-Y. And this was made from, it was like a thin porridge made from corn, and it was eaten as a soup or sometimes drunk as a beverage. So that was a staple as well. That's an interesting texture. You know, what sh- What strikes me about this conversation, we're, we're talking about beans and corn and squash. And I'm reminded of the Three Sisters planting uh, arrangement, the Native American method of planting a stalk of corn and then the bean sprout can grow up the stalk of corn. And then the squash plant lives in the shade. Um, and it's like a you know, just a a a symbiotic relationship relationship between those three types of foods. And also nutritionally, it's a pretty complete meal with the protein from the legumes and and everything. And I'm just thinking about so many of our Thanksgiving Day staples we learned about from Indigenous Americans. And I don't know, it's I think that it's really important to recognize that, especially on Thanksgiving. Definitely. Absolutely. And in fact, and you mentioned a very good thing that in fact, who really was the push behind making Thanksgiving a national holiday was Sarah Josephia Hale. And she was the author of a lot of different writings, but specifically the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. And so um, she had published in 1827 mm-hmm. a magazine editorial, and she had sent you know countless letters and uh, messages to local elected officials. And she actually has the nickname of the mother of Thanksgiving. Oh. So that is when in 1863, President Lincoln actually, and that was during the height of the Civil War, right. made that proclamation. And it was, that first meal was also um, to recognize the success. And then the president was really trying to bring together people and create more peace mm. and unity during the time of war. And that's that's really how it started. Here's another interesting thing that I learned about. Think about all the other traditions we have around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So we think about 
like the Christmas parades, did you ever think about how those got started around Thanksgiving? No. So some of the information that I learned was because we were coming out of the Depression. That is when some of the stores, it was a marketing step to get people and consumers back spending before the holiday season. Okay. So these, you know, Macy's Parade and other communities started then having local Thanksgiving parades. And it got people shopping and thinking about their holiday seasons. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. It all ties back to... Buying things. <laughs> it, it really, really does. Um, you know, but I was also still amazed thinking about the fact that how many people had not survived and, you know, just, you know, English persons coming here and, uh-huh. and trying to grow and create a life and how difficult that was. And, you know, I think you really mentioned, Elizabeth, a great comment about this is a such a good time to go back to and reflect on the things that we're thankful for, right? And and being able to come and look at that because um, those issues and the importance of peace and mm-hmm. unity are probably more important today than ever before. Absolutely, mm. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So you mentioned um, when you were talking about the first Thanksgiving, how there weren't a lot of women present. Um, do we know why? Disease and the hardships of getting settled is what was alluded in the information. Now, I didn't see any specific causes of death, but just because, you know, um, uh, being exposed to new outbreaks and new viruses, germs, germs, all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, probably many were, oh, and they were also young when Mm -hmm. you think about that because they were sending uh, younger settlers there that were probably at the height of their energy and capability of doing all the physical labor. But Mm -hmm. yeah, just the difficulty of getting settled in a new land and fighting disease and bacteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah, possibly even working themselves to death. Absolutely. (laughs) And yeah, absolutely. And that I think, and also the cold, Mm -hmm. you know, that area too would have been extremely cold. So um, I thought that was something I had not thought about before. Yeah. What else did you learn about the history of Thanksgiving foods. Let's did I talk about cranberries? Did you know they were first referred to as the cranberry? Oh. Because European settlers thought that the plant looked like a crane. Okay. And then in the 1600s, cranberries were also called bear berries because it was common to see bears snacking on them. Oh. And you know, cranberries are not something we grow here. And those were some of the really uh, common things. Also, turtles, rabbits, squirrels, and bear. You know, again, thinking about what's native to the region. What was available Bull. at the time. Because exactly. it's not like they can they could rent a food line yeah, and they a turkey. Exactly. They didn't have that canned turkey, and the deli wasn't available for their green bean yeah. casserole. Exactly. Yeah. They I mean, weren't deep-frying turkeys. You really, it's, it's so easy to forget how much of the food that we eat nowadays is imported, shipped from Mexico, shipped from Canada, shipped from wherever. Um, and even just like you mentioned, the canning process, having things um, semi-prepared. Like right. I'm someone, I really love to get a lot of vegetables in the frozen aisle because they're really fresh actually. And then also they're pre-chopped, <laughs> which I love. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, one. in fact, I was talking about this during our 
program this week, you know, even especially for our older folks, you know, like mango, you can even buy fresh, freshly cut, but frozen mango. And it's a great way to reduce waste. Mm -hmm. And for folks who live by themselves, or if you have arthritis or dexterity issues, or if meal prep just is exhausting, you know, due to chronic diseases, Mm -hmm. Frozen foods and even canned without added salt and sugar okay. are great options. Plus, yeah. you can buy them when they're on sale and save money and buy in smaller containers. So mm-hmm. it can be a really good option if you live alone and you don't have a large family. Yeah. yeah. Next time you feel um, really exhausted about the idea of preparing a meal, just remember you don't have to grow the food yourself. And uh, you can buy imported Blueberries, if you want to, <laughs> any well, time of year. <laughs> and you don't have to kill anything. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that. <laughs> well, speaking and, of killing, know. let me also just mention, I did not, because of the region of the upper New England states, lobster, seal, and swans were also on the pilgrim's menus. Wow. And, Dandria, going back to answer your question, so throughout that first brutal winter, Most of the colonists, they did stay on board the ship where they suffered from exposure of the the weather, scurvy, and other outbreaks of contagious disease. And um, only half of those Mayflowers, their original passengers and crew, did leave to see their first New England spring. Wow. And then in March, the remaining settlers moved ashore. And, you know, they really did rely on the indigenous people to help them learn to grow and to be familiar with that. Also, the other group, you know, we were talking about how um, how Thanksgiving was being developed for peace and community unity. It was uh-huh. also a religious celebration, too, right. you know, um, in terms of coming to a new land and formulating that. So it did have religious are you talking uh, about in the early settler days or yes. later in the 1860s? In the early settler days. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah. Yes, from the Puritans, from their religious backgrounds. Okay. So it sounds like what you're saying is Thanksgiving was a tradition starting from the early days of settlers coming to America, but it wasn't actually a national holiday until, until Abraham. Yeah, but until Abraham Lincoln made it so. Yes, absolutely. That's, that is it. That's really interesting. It's and it's really interesting to know that context too of it was designated a national holiday with an ulterior motive of post reconstruction getting the absolutely. north and the south to come back together over a shared meal. <laughs> exactly. And you know, that is one thing and I have I have watched, you know, PBS and some of the documentaries that that shared some information but you know the research that I found really did talk about the fact that you know for many folks there's a concern about you know how we tell the story especially to young children about what What Thanksgiving Thanksgiving is Mm -hmm. Um, in fact that you know it was um, you know that there was a lot of bloodshed between the European settlers and the Native Americans and and helping our children understand where it came from and it wasn't just about sharing a meal right so I thought you know I thought there was something there was some really good points that were made in some of this very interesting right Mm -hmm. so again you know it's so easy for us living in the comforts of what we have today 
to take this history for granted. That is so true. So it really was a moment for me to reflect and and to be thankful, just like what we're saying, all of the bounties and the options Mm -hmm. that we have. Mm -hmm. But I'm not certain about you, but I'm not ready for Groundhog. I'm not certain my family will Um, (laughs) be ready for that on the menu. When you first, before we started um, recording and you mentioned Groundhog, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, like pork sausage. Like pork. Oh, <laughs> that's normal. Right. That is true. That would <laughs> be a normal response. But you said groundhog, and I'm like. No, she oh. said ground groundhog. Did you pick up on it? <laughs> I did. That's why I was like, hold up, hold up. Let, let me get some clarification. Because <laughs> I think groundhogs are adorable, and I cannot imagine, mm-hmm. like, eating one. Well, that just the poor baby. Maybe they taste good. You don't know. They might taste like chicken. I mean, <laughs> you know, everything seems to. <laughs> I am from the mountains of Virginia, so I've probably had a few more of these um, native critters in my diet over the years than I've realized, but I'm none that I've recalled. <laughs> so I've had venison, but that's pretty much it. Um, we didn't do fish you know, on Thanksgiving growing up or anything right, like that. Right, right. Because we mm-hmm. were, but I will tell you, growing up and going to um, Thanksgiving dinner at my great-grandparents who lived on a big farm in Grover, uh, North Carolina, I did grow up uh, with chitlins or chitterlings, however you want to Did you it. ever help to prepare those? I did with my mom whenever she decided to cook them, yes. So uh, tell us about that. Oh, my goodness. So there's a saying we have in in the community that, you know, some folks will eat an animal from the ruta to the tuta. (laughs) (laughs) And they were not lying. (laughs) So it's an interesting experience because there used to be an old supermarket um, on Franklin called Wayne's. It was like right off Franklin. And uh, that was the only place back in the 80s where you could go and even buy. Uh Uh-huh. Chitlins. Yeah. I would just say it like I said it growing up. Absolutely. And my mom would buy buckets, literally 10-pound buckets, like multiples. Uh-huh. And she would let them thaw, and then I would help her wash them really, really well. Uh-huh. Um, and she would parable them multiple times. The first time she would parable them, she would literally put, like, a cap full of bleach in the water. Uh-huh. To kind of help kill the germs and stuff. And she always did that. She'd parable them about two or three times where literally she cooked everything out of it. Uh-huh. And then um, after she parabled them, then she would cook them because she wanted to make sure everything was clean yeah. out of those mm, absolutely. chitlins. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and she would, you know, just cook them with, you know, spices and to put the flavor back in, she would use chicken bouillon. I'm like telling her recipe right now, her secret. <laughs> Is she going to get mad? No, no. <laughs> but um, she, I grew up eating them, and I haven't had any in like years because it was just so much work, and I got tired of helping clean chitlins, so I quit eating them. Aww. But <laughs> so, can you describe the flavor? Um, so my mom used chicken bouillon to put the flavor back into them, and uh-huh. I like to put hot sauce on mine, mm-hmm. but it tastes, it kind of had a chicken flavor, not a chicken texture though, um, but I like them the way she would cook them, and we would eat them with like collard greens mm-hmm. and candied yams mm-hmm. and cornbread, and um, my papa, my dad's father, um, he also cooked chitlins, but he cooked his with hog punch. 
and I liked his too. So, yes, I grew up eating very country, southern country meals. I, got, <laughs> I've, I'd, I have not had chitlins, but I have had hog's feet. I, yeah, I'm not really that much of a pig feeder. <laughs> yes, I grew up I could that. eat them pickled. Um, but my mom used to cook those and mm-hmm. turkey necks and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. my mom was a very country cook. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, really, when you think about it, I mean, it was so it was part of not wasting and, you right. know, and yes. food and protein foods were so expensive. And so it was mm-hmm. important. So it is interesting when you look at some of the histories of of our food supply and, you know, how how these traditions continue from one mm-hmm. generation to the next. Yeah. yeah. Well, my great grandparents raised their own hogs, so we knew where it was coming from. Ah, yeah. That's a really good and point. So like a lot of the food, especially when I was really, really small, like early eighties, pretty much everything they cooked was grown on the farm oh, wow. or raised on the farm. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, I, we used to eat pretty good over there. Yes. Wait, now it makes so much sense why you are really interested in homesteading and growing vegetables and canning. Yeah. <laughs> I guess somewhere along the line it, it, it was rubbed off it, on it you. Rubbed off, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I love my homesteading. Aww. And you know, I remember in fact I'm doing some research because there is an interest from our homesteading workshop. Folks are interested in learning to make soap. And, you know, when you think about the original origins of soap, yeah. it was made tallow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so lard and, and lye, which, you know, we don't typically use those ingredients for today's soap. Oh, but, no. <laughs> but it's in, did, your, did your family make soaps? Did they do any of those kind of products since they had dogs? I don't recall, but they may have. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I know, um, so my great-grandmother... She, I remember um, being really young and watching her use the lard that she got from the pigs to make her biscuits. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I do remember that and using it like to cook with if she was like going to fry something. Yeah. So I do remember that and everything was cast iron. So I was mm-hmm. probably like six or seven years old. Because she, um, she actually passed away when I was about eight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. My grandmother had a... Um, one of the black pot wood stoves. Yes. Oh, wow. And so that's how she cooked. And in fact, she had, she did not have indoor plumbing. She had a well and she actually washed her clothes in the creek on a scrubbing board. I remember that. Wow. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know, rural parts of, uh, and again, you know, this really wasn't a term. This was not a tremendous time ago, but, you know, rural parts of our communities and our states in terms of how the development was. Uh Um, But I remember her biscuits and she used lard. Now, it was not local. Mm -hmm. No, she may have actually, you know, because there were, she had a farm and that sort of thing. But I remember the fresh butter and the milk that we got across the creek from the farm next door. Mm -hmm. And she'd make these wonderful biscuits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that... That is such a different lifestyle now yeah. compared to where we are yeah. and where mm-hmm. we've come from. But, exactly. Um, here in the States, at least. Yeah. But it is interesting. Yeah, and I think it's so important, important since we're talking about Thanksgiving, just how we need to keep those skills alive and in the forefront of our minds because you never know what's going to happen. And honestly, I think some of that was the 
best tasting food. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely. the thing that's that struck me about this conversation is the diversity of food from, I guess, years and years ago mm-hmm. when you were limited by having to be really resourceful and use every part of the hog or use whatever is happens to be growing yes. in the season where you live, then your palate is in some ways more diverse than ours is today. You know, when we celebrate Thanksgiving this year, families all across America are going to have a very similar dinner plate on their right. tables. That is true. Turkey, so yeah. I don't know. I feel inspired to try something new this Thanksgiving. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe groundhog. If I could find it. I don't know. Let me pray about that. <laughs> <laughs> Dandry, if you cook them and bring them to the office, I'll eat them. But I will tell you, you really do need to check out our um, fall foods recipes that we've put together for local foods because there's some great recipes. So I'll share that with you, and maybe that can be posted. We're, we're featuring that throughout the county okay. right now, and lots of good-tasting recipes. The greens, the sweet mm-hmm. potatoes, even bok choy. Mm-hmm. And one that um, I'm really enjoying right now are fresh figs. And you're talking about the history oh, of I figs. Love yeah, so they, they're probably not going to be around long enough for fresh figs for Thanksgiving, but it's de- certainly something to enjoy right now. I've oh, really yeah. been enjoying some fresh it, figs. I had fresh figs about two weeks ago, and they were so good. Mm. Love it. Yes. Well, Linda, Dandria, thank you so much. I've thank learned a lot you. today. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> we'll see you all again next week. Sounds great. Bye. Ho, ho, ho. Christmas is in the air in Gaston County. In addition to Christmas Town USA firing things up on December 1st, every town around Gaston County has Christmas parades and holiday markets on tap. Check out the community calendar at gastongov.com to find your favorite. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. It's produced by the Gaston County Communications Office with hosts Janet Schaefer, Dandrea Bradley, Elizabeth McGee, and Adam Gobb. Joshua Braswell serves as executive producer, and Gavin Stewart serves as field reporter and producer. Please like us and share reviews on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Coming up on next week's show, we're celebrating the one-year anniversary of Confluence. If you haven't heard of Confluence, you need to check it out.